Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, I want to invite you right now to subscribe to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast. If you haven't done it, it's a simple way to listen to the show. Never miss a minute. Listen at your convenience. Downloading it is very simple on any device you have. And this week, the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you by my good friend, Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed cash offers by going to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Uh, this hour of the show, of course, we're going to talk about Brittany Griner and the big news that she has been released in a prisoner exchange. We're going to reset our interview. I, I talked with Stephen Richer, the county recorder. Uh, we will talk about that interview and let you hear a little bit of what the county recorder had to say about about getting results faster in elections and some things he's going to take to the legislature to see if we can get some legislative changes. Uh, and we'll see if that happens. So we'll talk about that, let you hear some of it a little bit later. But the economy is still number one on people's minds. Uh, there are a couple of headlines that I think are very important. One is that credit card debt is at an all-time high and people's savings are at a 17-year low. That is a dangerous combination for anybody. I think everybody would agree with that. If your debt is as higher than it's ever been and you've got very, very little money set aside, you are in a very precarious place when it comes to the possibility of an emergency. I've talked about growing up the way we did and, and even living part of my life the same way of being uh, broke most of the time and uh, knowing that I was a one flat tire away from disaster, meaning if I got a flat tire, I didn't have money for a new tire, didn't have money for a tow truck. And if that happened to my vehicle and I couldn't get to work, I couldn't work, I'd be homeless. I would be out of I would be out of work and I would be out of a home. And I lived that way part of my life. And there are a lot of people that are being pushed in that direction where most people have credit cards for the purpose of an emergency. You know, if it's a big purchase, you pay it off over time, vacation, you'll do something like that. But you use your credit cards. If your AC goes out in your house, your AC goes out in your car, you have a major repair. When something like that happens, God forbid a medical issue, you've got credit cards set aside where you can cover that and then pay it off over time. When you're forced to buying the necessities on credit, when your credit is as when you have as much, you're running up as much of your credit limit as you have ever done and you don't have a lot of money set aside, you are now susceptible to falling through the cracks if, if a bad if something bad happens financially. But the policies that are keeping inflation as high as it is, this is part of the, the issue that I have. Um, a couple of headlines I talked about earlier. Biden administration will ban fossil fuel use in new federal buildings by 2030. This is, again, that push for climate change. In Germany, they are limiting the amount of fertilizer that can be used, and it's hurting German farmers. And this is all in the name of climate change as well. It's hurting German farmers and getting their crops grown as big as they can. We may see part of this may be leading to a food shortage. Um, when these things happen, it drives up prices. We understand that what's going on between Ukraine and Russia, because so much wheat comes out of that region of the world, that that also puts a strain that we can't control. We cannot control the strain that puts on the food market. But there are other things we can control. We all do this. We all do this in our life. There are areas in our life where we know this is the direction we want to take. This is the right way for us to go. We want to move in this direction. But when circumstances happen, when something un, um, unknown happens, uh, unexpected, sometimes you have to change course. 
We're going to save our money. We want to remodel the house. We want to add on a room to our house. It's going to add value to the home. It's going to give us a little bit more space. Our kids will have their own bedrooms if we can do this. So we're going to save our money. And we're going to get this room addition put on. It's something we really need. And then an unforeseen thing happens financially. You don't just keep driving in that direction. You have to shift gears and you have to say, we're going to get back to that. I mean, that's something important to us. We want this desperately. But these circumstances came up and we have to address this. And this administration doesn't seem to be doing that, especially when it comes to the area of climate change. There is no wavering. There is no wavering whatsoever from the policies that they have. The oil companies are such a prime example of this. The headline yesterday of what the, what uh, Gavin Newsom wants to do in California and tax the profits of the oil company. And some people just cheer and say, yeah, that's great. Go get them. That, the, that evil, the evil oil companies are profiteering. Well, explain to me, and I have not gotten an explanation yet from anyone. How does it lower the prices for you? The answer is it doesn't. It doesn't at all. And when you look at the state of California, not including federal taxes, the state of California and the fees and the taxes they put on fuel, gasoline, is somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 cents per gallon. You have to ask yourself, who's the hypocrite here? It's just a policy mess. When you have the American president saying to the American oil companies, you can do a deal with Venezuela, not exactly a free society anymore. You can drill temporarily in Venezuela, but you can't drill at home. We talk, And the president has said this over and over. They speak out of both sides of their mouth. There's all these oil leases. They go out and they can do what they want. They can drill these and they can do this. And the president goes and talks to another group of people and he says, wait a minute, no more drilling. No more onshore, no more offshore, no more drilling. No more financing, no more. So we are going to take the oil from Venezuela, which, by the way, I didn't know this was the case, but I've done some research that the oil from Venezuela, when burned, whether it's fuel or otherwise, when burned, is more polluting than the oil we would get from Canada. And that was part of the Keystone Pipeline that was shut down. So we're not going to allow a pipeline in America, but we're going to go buy oil from Venezuela We're not going to free up and loosen our restrictions on the American oil companies in the name of driving down prices. And if you're looking now, gas prices are lower. I guess we just heard in the news that here in Arizona, the price of gasoline is a penny cheaper now than it was a year ago. The price of diesel fuel is still through the roof. What are people paying for heating oil in America? Natural gas prices through the roof. This is what is damaging to so many people's personal economies is that the necessities of food have gone through the roof with no end in sight. And the price of fuel continues to be very high. You're having to choose between a full belly and a warm house. And it's not the way we're supposed to do things. Want to shift topics in a moment and talk about the border. Um, Why is there a surge In CBP suicides, there are a lot of theories. We're going to tell you some of them coming up in just a moment.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. There has been an increase in Border Patrol's CBP suicides, and there are a lot of people now paying attention to this, that people that are working for CBP at an alarming rate are committing suicide. It's horrible in any circumstance. Um, the old adage is that it is a permanent problem, a permanent solution to a temporary problem, um, but it's a lot more complicated than just those words. So I want you to hear a couple of things. We're going to start with Tony Gonzalez. He is a congressman from Texas talking about CBP. These aren't statistics. These aren't numbers on a paper. These are real people impacted by, you know, their families have been turned upside down. And while in Washington, a lot of, there's a lot of division that divides us and policy often drives us in a lot of different directions, there's a lot of things that should unite us. Birth, you know, life should unite us and death should unite us. The fact that we have 14 agents that have committed suicide is a problem. It's a big problem. And so there's something that they're promoting called the TAPS Act. I put together a piece of legislation. It's called the TAPS Act, taking action to prevent suicides. Uh, We've already got several members on it. I'll circulate it. We'll drop it later this week, but I'll circulate it as well. The, The goal is this. The goal is to bring this body together to solve real problems for real people in a manner that is productive. So now let's go to another uh, representative from Texas, this time Democrat Henry Quaylar, talking about the same topic. 14 suicides uh, just this and CBP just this year. And again, it's probably uh, it's more than almost any other year that we've had. But unfortunately, this is not a new issue. Between 2007, that is when CBP started taking numbers, uh, tracking suicides on November 30th of 2022, there's been 149 suicides within the agency. So when you have um, and there is also a high rate, uh, if you understand, high rate of depression and anxiety uh, with first responders in general, talking about the police officers, firefighters, when you're dealing with when you are seeing and I'm speaking about the police for just a moment, when you are seeing the worst that people can treat each other, what a human being is capable of doing to another human being day in and day out, it affects you um, when when there are the cops that work with child predators that that are out there pretending to be children online in order to to get these people to climb out from under the rock that they're under uh, so that they can arrest them when you deal in that world every day when you go online into a chat room posing as a as a 10 or 11 year old girl and within 30 seconds you're being inundated with messages from people that want to talk to you about sexual things it, it does something to your to you emotionally when you work in CBP when your job is to protect the border and your job is to enforce laws but you are overwhelmed with a sea of humanity and it feels as if you are not effective at your job anymore these things happen so we have come at the border issue from so many different angles, and I think that all of them are justified, all of them all of these issues and angles are angles we should look at. But how does it affect the men and women that are there to enforce the laws that feel like they are absolutely overwhelmed? Absolutely overwhelmed. And the you know, policy matters. We understand that policy matters and they don't feel as if they're being supported. We've talked to Brandon Judd, who is the head of the Border Patrol Union. And on multiple occasions, he's on cable news. He's been been really very vocal about what needs to happen and how it needs to change for the American people. But you're talking about Americans in those uniforms on the border that are feeling so overwhelmed. Some of them at much higher rates now are actually ending their life. That level of depression 
And it's something that we need to take into consideration. It's another angle on on what's horrible. As I've said before, um, this isn't a partisan political issue. The only people on this planet that are benefiting from the policies at our southern border right now, the only people are the cartels. There, none of the people that are coming here are benefiting. They're being used and abused in despicable ways in many cases, forced into the sex trade, forced into the drug gangs, forced into doing things to pay back what the cartels say they owe with the threat of their lives or the lives of their family members at home. You're seeing what's happening to the people that work on the border, whether it's ICE or CBP. You know that people that live in those border towns are being overwhelmed with what's happening and trying to help people in need. Hospitals, clinics, food banks, uh, just being overwhelmed. It, it is a, it's a, and we, the system is overwhelmed as well. Lawyers and magistrates, it is an overwhelmed system, and this administration is doing little to nothing about it. And this is where, you know, my political leanings matter to everybody because you're going to come at things and that's all you're going to see. But you know I'm right. You know that this is a situation that is not right or left. It's right and wrong. And this is hurting everyone except the cartels. There's a story about the violence that continues to grow in Mexico. And that uh, the government of Mexico seems to be ill-equipped to to stop it. We saw this happen in Colombia. And we saw this happen when the cartels, when the drug cartels, the original ones, the Cali cartel, the Medellin cartel, I've talked about at length. We know how the story goes. They they create their drugs. In that time period, it was cocaine. First it was marijuana. Then it was cocaine that became a multi-billion dollar industry. They not only built a network in order to sell their drugs, they built armies and they fought against their own country. I've told this story before. Pablo Escobar was such a powerful man in his country. He was murdering federal um, elected officials, politicians, and when he finally had to go to jail because he was going to be extradited to the U.S. So instead of being extradited to the U.S., he went to prison in his own country. Pablo Escobar was given given the right, given permission to build his own prison, which he did. He built a palatial prison. Where he had women and food and people brought in to visit him. He was in a country club. We know how this goes as the cartels gain in money and power. And we've got to do more. We should be doing much more than we've done. Coming up in a moment, we revisit Brittany Griner is free. We'll let you hear from some other leaders as they talk about the freeing of Brittany Griner. And we'll talk about the cost. All that coming up next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Thanks for being here. appreciate you spending some time with the show. Uh, as you just heard the big news um, in the update, Brittany Griner, the WNBA star, is has been released in a prisoner exchange for a man named Victor Boot, who is known as the Merchant of Death. I'm going to read a quote to you from former Attorney General Eric Holder. Eric Holder said this about Eric uh, about Victor Boot. He is one of the world's most prolific arms dealers. Mr. Boot became notorious among American intelligence officials, earning the nickname Merchant of Death as he evaded capture for years. His exploits helped inspire a film, Lord of War, starring Nicolas Cage um, as a character fashioned after Mr. Boot. Um, 
So I want you to hear a couple of the the allegations made against this guy. He was accused of selling weapons to al-Qaeda, Taliban, and the militants of Rwanda. According to several investigations in his U.S. indictment, and he is also associated with flouted arms embargoes in Sierra Leone, the Democratic Republic of Congo and Algeria, where he sold weapons to both the government forces and rebels fighting them. He was also uh, was met up when he original when he was finally arrested. He was caught in Bangkok, but he met with undercover drug enforcement administration agents that he believed were representing the Columbia Revolutionary Armed Forces or FARC, which the United States considered a terrorist organization until last year, when the prospective buyers told him that weapons could be used to kill American pilots. Mister Boot responded, "We have the same enemy." So I, you know, again, I am happy for the Griner family. Uh, there's no doubt that it's, and I would be for any American. I, I, my political leanings are my political leanings. I don't, I don't have to address my politics in my mind to understand that I'm an American before I'm any of those other things. When an American is being held in Russia, and Russia is our sworn enemy, when we know that Brittany Griner was a pawn there. Now there are people that said, well, she broke the law. She did break the law, but is it a nine-year sentence in a prison camp in a work? camp in a penal colony. Is that an appropriate uh, sentence? And most people would say absolutely not. Just not, not most Americans. Most people in general. Nine years for possession of marijuana for cannabis. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We also understand at a time where um, America is supporting Ukraine in this war, she was a political prisoner. There's no doubt about any of that. But you're talking about a guy that was murdering people all over the world. And if he wasn't himself murdering them, he was facilitating it with the weapons and the arms that he was selling to people, knowing that they were going to be used for that purpose. He was selling to both sides in a war. He was selling to terrorist organizations, known terrorist organizations. And when warned or when told that they could be used to kill Americans, he said, we have the same enemy. This is a guy that is a sworn enemy of America, and the Russian government wanted him back very badly. But how hard did we push? Because there is a former Marine who was working as a head of security for a corporation that was arrested and on trumped up charges of espionage. And he is being held since has been held since 2018 in Russia and should have been a part of this deal. Now, the administration, the Biden administration is saying that this was not a part of the deal. They are treating this case differently with Paul Whelan. And but at the same time, you ask yourself if it were you. Do you think America got what it could? Do you think this was a good deal? If Russia wanted this guy so back, wanted back so badly, and they seem to, he is going to return to Russia in a hero's welcome. You know, he was um, – this is a guy that moved to the UAE. He started a business. He owned about 60 airplanes, and he was shipping weapons all over the world where there were nations in these war-torn countries. He was bringing in the arms that were keeping these wars going. He knew that Americans could be killed, and yet he was still doing these things. And we have to ask ourselves, is that a fair trade? Is, uh, could we have held out and said, no, 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 we're not doing it? The political pressure on the White House to get Brittany Griner, a very well-known athlete, um, out of there, did, did that play a role in what they were going to do? It seems like we have given up a lot more than we're getting. No offense to Griner, no offense to her whatsoever. But as far as she's no danger to the world, she's no danger to anyone. This guy, this Victor Boot, this this merchant of war, this guy is known all over the world as an arms dealer 
in dealing in death. And they wanted him back desperately in Russia. This is going to be a huge political victory for them that they traded a basketball player for a terrorist that was in that hates America probably as much as Vladimir Putin does. And so that's the question. And again, it's possible to have mixed feelings to say, listen, I genuinely am happy for the Griner family. And I'm, I'm, to be honest with you, I am anxious to see the response from Brittany Griner when she gives her first comment to the media. What will she say about Victor Whalen? What, what I'm sorry uh, about Paul Whalen? What will she say about him? What will she say about him still being in captivity? Will her attitude shift a little bit? We understand that part of the conflict that people had was she was asking the American government to help her, but she at the t- at a time was not in favor of playing the national anthem at WNBA games, and you know just but a lot of athletes were protesting the anthem. Will she change her tune about that? And I, I, how could this this could very well be an eye opening learning lesson in that regard for her that after going to Russia and being treated that way by the Russian justice system, that maybe she has a little bit more love for her country now. And all that remains to be seen, and I am anxious. But I wouldn't care if she stays right down the same path that she's on now politically uh, or she was before with the same statements. It wouldn't matter to me at all. The fact of the matter is we are Americans. The Russians are our sworn enemy. They would like nothing more than to cripple us economically and to beat us militarily. We understand that Vladimir Putin is an evil guy that hates America. And we should be happy any time an American gets out of there, gets out of their grip. But we also have to be realistic in what we traded for that, what we could have held out for, the capital that we had. And that, to me, is going to be the biggest issue for people moving forward is do they believe that this was a fair trade? That remains to be seen, and I think a lot of it's going to depend on what Brittany Griner has to say when she makes a statement. I interviewed – I had a nice conversation with Stephen Richer, the Maricopa County recorder, about what happened in Maricopa County on Election Day, but also moving forward, what can we do to expedite, to make it faster, to hear the votes and get the results so that people know faster who wins elections. We're going to let you hear a little bit of that next. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show on a Thursday morning. Stephen Richard, the Maricopa County Recorder, uh, gained a lot of attention during the election cycle in 2022. Uh, the problems on Election Day had nothing to do with his office. His office handles early voting. The the uh, County Board of Supervisors handle Election Day. But he came on the show today to talk about in not only what happened on Election Day, but the election results in general, and then what we can do to improve elections moving forward. So I want to start with, I asked him about, are you sure, do you believe after everything you've seen, do you believe that Maricopa County got the elections right? In other words, got the totals right in the end. I'm confident that the results were tabulated accurately and that the voter registration database was in great shape and the best shape that it's been in a while. And so, um, you know, we're blessed, I guess, to be doing a full recount. And I'm confident that that full recount will very, 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 very closely mirror the results as they were originally produced. 
So as you see, as you hear that happening, as you hear him say that, the confidence that they have that it was done right. Now, there is a difference between being disappointed in some of the issues that happened on Election Day and whether or not it was done accurately um, and whether it was done intentionally. And we've talked so much about intentionality. I don't believe anybody intentionally cheated. I certainly don't believe uh, – forget – I guess the political party does have something to do with it but I, I because I, it just kind of is the frosting on this cake. I can't imagine that someone like a Clint Hickman – or someone like a Bill Gates, who are two staunch Republicans, would try to hurt other Republicans. That, I mean, that, but but at the at the core of who people are, I don't believe either of them are cheaters. So I don't think that there was anything done intentionally. So I asked Stephen about this. I asked Mr. Richer about um, the lawsuits that are that are coming that we believe are coming as the late campaign had asked for uh, a bunch of records from the county. They have relented. They have given them over. They say they have complied and they have given over to the late campaign the documents that they were asking for. And I asked him what he anticipated happening next. Post-election litigation is an important and healthy part of the process, and the late campaign, if it feels that it has been in any way wrong or it has been had its electoral chances unlawfully impinged, then it should file lawsuits, and those will be adjudicated in, and we, that we should accept the, the results of the, the court's ruling, and that can be appealed to the Supreme Court, but then after that, it's done, and that's the process that's set up by the law, and as somebody who firmly believes in the rule of law, we should respect the rule of law. And I agree with him. I agree with the, the – again, you're a candidate for an office. You put your heart and soul and your family's lives at, at, you know, at kind of uh, on pause while you run for an office, and you should make sure that it was done fairly. If you believe you've been cheated, bring your evidence to court. I absolutely agree with them wholeheartedly. They should be able to do that. And once the courts decide whatever they decide, that should be what everybody rests on. So let's see if that can be done and if it can be done quickly. So he did say we need some changes. He talked about changes we need. We haven't changed the system materially since 1992 and yet after every single election we say we want results faster and that I think is true across the board and this doesn't make you you know an election conspiracy theorist or anything of the like if you just say we want results faster and that's uh, you know and it's hurting unfortunately Arizona's national reputation when so many people are interested in the outcomes of Arizona's races and they have to wait. And he's right. People want to get uh, results faster. So we talked about how you do some of these things. He's First of all, he said, I think we should take a look at what Florida does. I think that we should simply do what Florida does and simply ask that early ballots be returned early. And so I'm proposing that all early ballots have to be returned by 5 p.m. on Saturday. Then we could have a much higher percentage of results available on election night, and we would know who has won the vast majority of those contests. And when you look at uh, when you look at what he's proposing here, the one issue I would say about early voting, and I have no problem with mail-in ballots, I have no problem with the system. You know, I think that the way they do it in Maricopa County, it's done the right way. Where you mail your ballot in, you get a notification that says we've received your ballot. When your ballot's been counted, you're notified that your ballot has been counted. So I've got no problem with that system. My issue with early voting is there are a lot of times you don't know what's coming. That there may be information that you get that would have changed your mind. What happens when, you know, uh, in the primary, uh, Matt Salmon left the race, but his name was still on the ballot. 
and there were people that voted for some that you vote for a candidate and then that candidate drops out of the race and you can't change your vote because you've already sent your vote in. So I'm someone that I think the people that wait longer and I understand the principle of saying I want to be able to sit down at my kitchen table, grab a cup of coffee or, you know, maybe something a little stronger um, based on what you're voting for and go through these things and make sure I'm educated and I'm voting in a way that I think is appropriate. I get that. I get the principle. I understand it. I go to the polls. I do my research ahead of time. I do my homework ahead of time. But I go on election day and I vote at the polls. And this year, I went a little early. I went on Friday instead of Tuesday because I knew it was going to be a crazy election day for me. But I did go into a voting center and I did cast my ballot there. I did put it into the dropped it into the ballot box there to be counted later. Um, So you know, this is a long way from over. But there are some good ideas that he does. He did say that he is taking it to the legislature. Hopefully, can get it passed and that our governor will uh, sign it into law. Economies, economists are talking about our economy and recession. Are we in a housing recession and what can we do to avoid it? We'll talk about it next.